Welcome to episode 95 of Coffee Pods and Wads. Um, sponsored by Rain Body Fuel, the ultimate fitness focused drink to support your performance, and also sponsored by Ollie Clothing, a brand dedicated to helping you in your pursuit of success. They make products that support all active endeavors and create content that adds clarity and convenience to the self development process. Uh, BurbossCoachDevelopment.com will develop a coach in a personal sense through self discovery while learning academically about the psychological side of coaching, and you can use the code PODS for 20% off. It's an online course, no better time to do one. Speaking of online courses, the gymnastics course has launched its online platform uh, for completing the course itself and uh, online programming. Um, and that programming, programming is done by the coaches of the course. Uh, we'll be giving away a free month of programming to a randomly selected patient of the show. You can join the gang at the link in my bio or through coffeepodsandwads.com to be in with a chance of winning. Uh, I'm going to make the draw for that next week. Um, there's still 40% off on Reebok.com for US residents. Uh, you can use the code PODS40 at checkout. Uh, certain exclusions apply, I think. Um, that's ongoing until the 19th of this month. Um, today's episode is Scott Britton from Battle Cancer. Uh, we have a chat about his upbringing, his career in the police, and taking a break from that to focus on Battle Cancer as well as starting the Move Forward gym. Um, and we chat about how the charity functions, how it works, and where he hopes to take it from here. So enjoy, listen, share, and tag. Well, listen, thanks a million for doing this. Um, I really appreciate you taking time out. Um, if if your Instagram is anything to go by, you're a busy we, boy. We were going to do this years ago. This is the problem. <laughs> yeah, we actually, so we had this set up. <laughs> you were coming over for... first Dublin. Yeah, I know it was the second one. And Sloan about born. I remember messages saying like, it's a bit of a shit show here at the Boston. minute. And then you were yeah. like, I actually forgot about it. So that suits. Um <laughs> Yeah, so you you were uh, we yeah we almost sat down. Um, God, I haven't done an actual in person interview in fucking ages. Um, so I, I remember from that conversation that you don't drink coffee, is that right? Yeah. So this is where I'm gonna probably never be allowed back on again. So the, the caffeine, and this isn't a sponsored post, but the the caffeine that I do have is is not from coffee. I mean, I gave I gave it a real good go. I, I just don't drink hot drinks, so I've never drank tea. I've never drank coffee, and then I was like. Probably three years ago, I said, right, I'm going to try. I'm going to get over myself and I'm really going to try. And I tried like five or six different coffees. I just can't do it, man. You like, have iced coffee then if you don't like hot coffee, no? Tried it. I still, still <clears throat> taste. It's weird. I, I explained to everybody I have a very uncultured palate. So what, the difference is it's not that I think I'm right and everybody else is wrong. I know I'm wrong and everybody else is right. I like before I've got a weird upbringing, man, but before uh, I met my wife, like I didn't even know what an avocado was. Like I'd never eaten an avocado. So um, yeah, things like that. Red wine to me is just vinegar. I mean, I don't drink. I've not drank for like three years, but when I, when I did, if you put red, red wine in front of me, you could have said it was a 32,000 pound glass. And I just said, it tastes like vinegar. Get it out of my face. So yeah, I, I know it's me. I'm the one with the problem, not everyone else. So yeah, yeah it's, uh, yeah, I must apologize. It is uh, no, something I've, that's missing I've in my plen- life. I've had plenty on that don't drink coffee, Story. <laughs> you actually reminded me there of a story one of my friends told me where he got a Nutribullet <clears throat> and it was when they first came out and he was following a recipe and like the, the whole selling point of the Nutribullet was like, it'll you know like a chicken carcass anything it'll yeah. grind it up into nothing <laughs> so the recipe that he was making was for a smoothie and it was like one whole avocado and he was like looking at it going surely not like this <laughs> everything like so he, he put it in and broke his uh and he just threw the whole thing in like so yeah that reminded me of that um what 
what was I going to say there? Oh, yeah. Um, usually I ask for, uh, sorry, I just found this. That's like, I remember crying. After <laughs> um, you, you, I usually ask for a coffee memory um, from people. Is there something then that stands out for you as maybe a travel memory of like somewhere you were, someone you were with that springs to mind where it was a proper, like, you know, next level pinch me moment? With coffee. Um... <clears throat> or even just travel, because obviously coffee isn't high up on your list of priorities. <laughs> I mean, in terms of coffee, let's start with a coffee and then we can kind of go from there with that. I, I mean, again, I'm such an uncultured swine. I have no idea what this machine is, why it percolates, what percolating is. I thought it was kind of dance that kids do on TikTok or something. I had no idea. Um, and I remember, again, like the... So LA has a very particular clientele to LA other than the severe amount of homeless people and drug addicts it has um just the world's biggest population of hipsters yeah and you go into some places and like the stuff on a menu is I have no idea what it's saying to me I mean it's in English but I have no idea what it's saying to me um and a particular eye opener for me and again I'm sure people who listen to this will know but coffee made out of batshit was a was it was an interesting just you know I, I didn't know that well, one, how my mind works was like, how did they discover that? Like, was it an accident? I'm always the same. Anytime you hear of even some vegetables, I'm like, who is the first person to be like, do you know what we should do? Like, let's eat it. And, you know, like, all right, yeah, you go ahead and we'll see what happens afterwards. <laughs> I mean, a carrot, it's a weird looking thing. It's in yeah, the ground. Yeah. Like, was it? So, yeah, I mean, that was an eye opener and just kind of going into these places where, I don't know, like it's a rye bread made out of the carcass of a vegan that passed away in an ethical ceremony that's then on a balanced egg of like, I don't know, whatever. Like it's, it's that ridiculous. And kind of yeah. seeing that was a, was a real eye opener. I think in terms of travel, I, I again was like, because of my like quite, you know, difficult upbringing, I'd never really traveled until I was in my like late twenties. And then really luckily I've managed to go to quite a few places and in particular the U S has always been a, I just love the country. The country's batshit. Like it's, yeah. it, it's like 50 countries in one people are just a complete different mentality to everything. I absolutely love the U S the thing I find insane about it is that it's literally like ev- everywhere you go is like so reminiscent of television or film. Yeah. Or something. Like I was in, I went to the games two years ago and every shop I went into, I was like, holy shit, this is exactly like all the shops I've seen on every TV show ever. <laughs> and then like every street, I was like, holy shit, this is exactly like I wouldn't I couldn't stop myself. And my wife was like, I fucking knew you were going to be like this when we came here. <laughs> <laughs> You're not coming back again. <laughs> and and uh, yeah, I mean, like, there's a huge element of that, like regardless of where you are, especially L.A., it's like you just we're really lucky. We've got friends there and we, we stay with them and we get to see loads of places. And our friends have. Uh, their family own this like ranch in Malibu and as you drive along to go to the ranch you pass like Mel Gibson's house Cher's house like Bruce Willis's house all this kind of stuff that's not they don't live in Hollywood like that's mm. a load of bollocks about you know these Hollywood store towns like loads of them live live in Malibu and um, you just kind of drive past and it was really funny playing like Cher as you drove past Cher's house and then just seeing the pure like wealth that these people have and then their ranch is used by Disney and used by it was used by like the biggest loser if you remember that program. Oh yeah, yeah. With well, that's Mike, one. You know, the, yeah, the yeah. biggest <laughs> the biggest CrossFit fan in the world. Yeah. Um so it was just really weird seeing this like shed that was a shed, that's not the word, is it barn? barn yeah. I said shed. Um, barn that was used in, in that it was quite funny. But I think in terms of like travel, 
that was amazing. I, the biggest place that was a big culture shock for me was Bali, going over to Bali and seeing thousands of people on mopeds, like a cow on the back of a moped, you know, entire families on the back of mopeds. Um, and that, again, is a cultural thing as well. For them, tied into their culture and religion, they don't want to be moody. Like mm. aggression and, and being sad is a really bad thing and it's really frowned upon. So everybody just being like almost cult-like insanely happy, even though they live in some like really bad conditions. It's not a rich country, Bali, um, was was a bit of a like, ah, okay. Like, you know, there's, there's a different way of seeing the world and there's very, very different like ways. So yeah, I, I mean, the biggest outstanding thing for me is I'd love to go to China and Japan. We were supposed to go to the sanctionals. Then this thing happened, uh, you know, I've, it's been on a couple of newspapers since. So that didn't happen. Um, but that's the next big one. I, I think from a completely different culture, it'd be amazing to go over there and and just see yeah, how a completely different, you know, 3,000 year old culture lives yeah. as, a, as opposed to us. But I'm yeah. also allergic to, to nuts and there's peanuts in every single thing. So I'll probably be eating crisps for the entire time. Then. Are you actually allergic or like hate them? No, like crazy allergic. Like oh, nearly yeah. died at a competition here because I ate, uh, I ate a bar that sh- I shouldn't have done that had like a tiny amount and then I was whisked away to the hospital. Then I pulled a John Terry. I came back from the hospital, took my top off, took a picture at the end. And I, I, on reflection, <laughs> I was yellow. So it wasn't a good You're like, like, thing to do. <laughs> the picture. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. um, you mentioned there that uh, a difficult upbringing. What aspects of it were difficult? Yeah, I mean, like I just um, grew up in a a great play, part of Manchester, but a rough part of Manchester. Um, just from, didn't have particularly great parents. All both had their own singular issues and then, and then like left home at a very, very, very early age. Um, so just didn't have engaged parents that were, yeah, I didn't give a flying fuck to be honest about stuff. Yeah. So it was, it was as I got older and learned like different life lessons and stuff, like I said, literally it was a joke, you know, avocados. I didn't eat rice till I was like in my mid twenties. I didn't, there was lots of things that was really like, okay, oh, this is, this is how things probably should be. Mm. So it was, it was super interesting from that, but I just don't see it as like a, let's bleat about it kind of thing. I always just think, well, it, it is what it is. And if I found an avocado when I was 26, I've still found them. They're very expensive, but I've still found them. <laughs> you've, um, you've been busy, on, on, like I suppose, with lockdown and everything as well. It's given you more opportunity with podcasts and, you know, doing interviews and stuff. So, like, you've been on Talking Elite and Make Pods Great Again. And obviously now the pinnacle today. Um, Mate, you, obviously, uh, you obviously become, like, the face of battle cancer. Um, is that, like, was that decision made earlier on or is that something that just kind of sort of evolved and happened? Because obviously it's a nice symbiotic relationship there because, you know, the, the more exposure you get through say like my protein or, you know, men's health magazine or whatever, or any initiatives you're doing on your own bat or like teaming up with weight or whatever, the more exposure battle cancer gets then as a, you know, a byproduct, I guess. Yeah. And like, it's really nice that you've seen that because that, that is the plan. Like I, when we when I made the decision to take career break from the police, which was like last year, it was a re- I was really dead set against it, and I was like, the problem is I, you know, there's only so long that people can particularly like me, or I might say one wrong thing, or I might piss people off, or I, I don't know, like maybe something I do, and I and I I'm so conscious that what we work so hard to do and what we're working to evolve with battle cancer that. I don't want to be the down bringer of, of that. Mm. Like there's, there's an element of that. And so we started working with a PR company because to, to kind of get next level 
in terms of with battle cancer, there's only so much I could keep, you know, Facebook messaging gyms. There's only so much I could keep like making my own stuff. And we have a phenomenal PR company and they were great. They did, you know, they did it for us free and really helped. And, and a big part of what they said was like, you need a, you need a spokesperson, you need a voice. And to get anything in mainstream media, like as, as, as bad as it sounds, they don't give a shit. So like we can say we fundraise nearly a million quid for 36 charities that nobody cares. Like, you know, the Daily Mail doesn't care. You know, BBC, ITV, whatever, they don't give a shit. So what, what you need to do is have an alternative path that as you build everything that you're trying to do with Battle Cancer, you need another angle to come in at stuff. So it probably took me like a good three or four months to kind of be convinced to do it. And we'd seen it on the competition floor. Like when we did comps, we always got such a great response because it was like, oh, who are these guys? Like, oh, that's like a weird thing. Like cancers in the team name. Like, that's a bit strange. Why would they do that? And that was always on purpose because then people would see it. They would get some like airtime and then we'd kind of reach somewhere else. And going to all those comps is how we met and become good friends with people who are tied into that like upper level of CrossFit, especially. Um, but yeah, kind of reluctantly, I've always been a reasonably good speaker. Like in terms of my job was in the police. Like I was quite good within that I was an advanced interviewer so I was used to speaking I'd speaking in court and speaking my way out of various things when I worked in other sides of my my job um so I knew I could kind of talk but I needed to get as many different avenues of eyes in on on it and and a big thing for us is survival of trying to work with partners and and partners quite often especially so if you talk about the likes of my protein they're huge. The Hook Group is a two billion pound company. You know, to get noticed and to get that door open with someone of that size, they just don't like accept an email and then go, yeah, cool, let's do all this stuff. So you have to work with people for a period of time. They have to realize how hard you want to work, like what this vision is and what this dream is. And then it kind of works. And, you know, I've been super open and honest about it. If I put a picture with my boobs out on Instagram, it might get someone's attention potentially because I look a bit different. I'm tattooed or whatever, but then in my captions, I want to get people. So if I can get you from that top bit and then I can start telling you something, be it about bowel cancer, be it about mental health, be it about like something good. That's been a strategy of, of getting some attention and, and, and it kind of works in some ways. And I think from a voice point coming on podcast and talking about what we're doing, you know, although I repeat myself quite a lot, <laughs> there's, I live and breathe it. So it's a massive pleasure to just completely talk about it all the time. And I think it's really hard unless you're, you know, you're leading that shit to talk about it. Like when I was in the cops, like I wouldn't have been as passionate about talking about what great manager police was doing or what Devon and Cornwall police was doing. I'd be like, yeah, I do this. And yeah, I have to do that. And da, 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 da. But where with this, it's like, no, I'll, I'll talk to anyone at any time about it. So it was complete, I know it's the longest winded answer, but it was it was partly like advice that it needed to happen. But then I'm really, really careful of it and really, really don't want to piss people off. And then and then we lose people from a, a wider aspect because Battlecans is way bigger than than me. It's you know, it's, it's for thousands of people and we want to grow it and grow it. So yeah. it's a it's a fine line. So I, I try not to annoy people too much. I'm sure, sure I do. <laughs> yeah, no, I emphasize that because I think I I'd be very similar with my job where like it's definitely a job. Like it's definitely, 
you know, it's not, I don't think I've been like called to do it. It's not some vocation where it's like, you know, you know, I finally found my thing. Like, you know, I think I quite like teaching because I quite like engaging with people or whatever. And it's nice when you get that like aha moment where a kid realizes or understands something and you're kind of like, oh, they know that because I told them it like, but I think in reality, it's like, well, if I didn't tell them, someone else probably would have anyway. Yeah. So it doesn't really make that much of a difference. Um, whereas I think with the podcast then same, if anyone ever wants me to talk at them for 20 minutes just ask me a question about the podcast and i'm i'll just hit play and go um so i definitely empathize with that um do you ever tire then of being in the spotlight like does it ever get exhausting like having to you know be so ever present on social media i guess or be consistent at least in putting up stuff and putting up like sharing you know certain aspects of your life or whatever like you ever just like oh i just can't be arsed um I did. I, did. I kind of went through that a little bit, but then I, I see it in like a really different way. Like I see it as this will not last. Like it's, it's cool that people, you know, I, I get messages off people, which are, you know, not just to like, you know, follow me for this. Like I get messages off people that are really, really kind. And they say, I've been struggling for motivation. And I just know that every day you're going to be sharing some videos or you're going to be sharing some training or, you know, I had a phenomenal set a message and chat with a lady who she'd had cancer recovered significant number of years had passed but she was a, a great swimmer she was a real good like ocean swimmer and she'd not done anything and she said she'd been following me for months and months and when I like nearly drowned at Waterpalooza and then told myself I'm going to become good at swimming I she kind of followed that journey and then messaged and she said for the first time she'd walked into the sea she'd gone off she sea swam and this massive weight had been lifted and stuff and I was like fuck like you know me just whinging about putting a video on Instagram which takes a couple of minutes or you know taking a moment to think well what what can I write about this that impact is a it's a privilege that won't last like it's a mm. privilege for a, a really small period of time and you know I don't have hundreds upon hundreds of thousands of people that, that see me I'm, I'm really lucky that I, I, I get quite a lot of people interacting with me which is really cool but I'm not you know Kindle General what it's called I'm not whoever that's got you know the, the huge huge reach but that for me, I think it, is, well, it won't last forever. So if I if I get a privilege of putting something out and it really helps someone or it does something in, in, in its way, that's really good. So I always, I answer as many people as I can. Like I don't get weird messages, obviously I don't answer them, but most people just, it's really funny. Like a lad messaged me the other day and he said, you know, I'm really struggling with my front rack and you always talk about struggling with your front rack. Like, have you got any suggestions? So I answered him and just told him what I did. And his first message back was, I can't believe you've answered me. No one ever answers me. Oh, how shit's that like it i know i know people who you're messaging and i know that they'll live on their phone and i know that to just give you a quick like tidbit of, of advice that i've gone through costs me nothing it's like mm. 10 seconds of my day and then it's going to be really helpful and I, and I think that's where some people who are kind of very influential on on social media get way to up their own ass and and at the end of the day it, it's a it's a social media app that's got a number attached to a login like that that's mm. what it is so I don't, I don't ever get bored of it anymore or, or feel like I shouldn't do this. And I, sh I mean, there's not, I don't share everything. Like, you know, there's, there's some stuff that goes on day to day that I don't particularly share. But again, I, I feel like if you do it right, you can, you can convince people and help people through some dark shit potentially. Yeah. I think the best advice I was given for it was like, it's social media. So just be social on it and <laughs> it'll, it'll work to your benefit. And like, I think, 
after like what I set it up, it was easy at the start because I think at the very beginning I had, I had one follower and it was myself. So it was easy because like <laughs> I didn't have anyone to engage with. But I think I've, I've prided myself on a similar out, outlook where if I get a message, I'll engage with it in some shape or form. Like I like it or reply to it or something like because I think I've been where that guy was of like messaging someone and just like seeing and nothing happened and be like right okay like fair enough do you know and <laughs> like i'd never be bitter about it i'd never be like oh fuck's sake like what are you doing with your life that's it's a bit like what's your man it's stan isn't it in the eminem song like i wouldn't go that far but like <laughs> you know you do have that pang of like oh that's a bit shit like it's a bit disappointing or whatever like so i think it's it's something that i kind of would would echo from you there of like it doesn't take long to be like thanks or anything like you know so um you, you mentioned a few times there you were uh, in the police. Um, you were, were you a detective? Yes, I was a detective sergeant. Sir, any, so have, was, you ever, have you ever involved in anything juicy? Oh, lots. <laughs> so, yeah, my I worked in very serious crime. So I, I wasn't in uniform for very long. Um, I was in uniform for about a year. Very quickly came out, got promoted very quickly, and then did my detectives very quickly. Um yeah, so I mean, my areas of specialism were modern day slavery, human trafficking, child ex- child sex exploitation, um, surveillance, worked on various things across various places. And, you know, I had people that didn't particularly like me. <laughs> um, death threats, I'd get a phone call and it would be, we've had a credible threat against your life. So you're going to have to go home a different way. And we're going to have to give you this and you're not going to have to go here. Did you have to live like um, out of the area that you worked in then? Did you have to live like... A certain yeah, distance away you live or, a certain yeah. distance away. And I mean, you know, in, in terms of when you're actively in the police, you can't, there's certain things like if you were to come over to Belfast and go over to Northern Ireland, like you, there's certain areas that you're told, like I have to tell work, like I would have had to tell told work I was going to Northern Ireland. Um, and places in Europe, very similar. I remember trying to get authorization to go and compete in powerlifting in Russia. And it was a flat no, like you are not going to Russia. We're not allowing you to go to Russia because counterterrorism would look and go, okay, there's, there's, there's just not safe for you to kind of go at the minute. Um, and so that's where like my name thing came around because my name's Scott Britton, but it's Scott Brits everywhere. Cause I was always never really forthcoming with kind of who I fully was. And that was from people wanting to kill me. So I, I as, as much as I, um, I can be quite nice. I was also really good at pissing dangerous people off. So it's, it's, it's an area of my life that is nice to not have to worry about for a while. Yeah. It doesn't really, it wouldn't really require a cold breaker, would you? For, from, from Britain to Brits. Like it's not, it's not like you totally change your name that people are like, oh, it's definitely not him. (laughs) I always found like the easiest, like you could, you could very easily confuse people. So yeah, they'd be like, wait a minute. (laughs) But his name, he's got the same beard and he's got the same face, but it's... <laughs> it's so weird that he's got 75 matching tattoos, but a different different name. <laughs> he's got a different name. It's not the guy. Cut it. Come on, get it, get back in the van. It's not Yeah. Guy. Was that, like, was it hard? Like, so, obviously, if you're going through, you talk to, you know, like, nurses and doctors and stuff that are at work and, you know, it's difficult not to bring stuff home. Like, you mentioned some pretty harrowing... The settings there of like human trafficking and slavery and child sex and like is it hard to just be like right it's six o'clock I'm done and like go do something else yeah I mean like I always so I, I did a I remember doing a podcast with this comedian um and and he was kind of talking about like what why did you set this up like you know what do you get from it 
and and to be fair kind of the peak time of me working on really bad stuff I was I was starting to do battle cancer so I had this like phenomenal positive balance mm. and this is why when people go or oh, you know this thing that that you and the team now do it seems like a really selfless thing and I'm like bullshit to that like it's not it's actually really selfish like it's it's a very selfish thing that we do because it's such a positive impact and you get such like reward back from seeing something grow and from helping people also I was just very good at kind of putting a thing in in a box in my mind to say that's that um I'm definitely on an autism spectrum in the way that I see certain things like and and that was always very helpful so I mean you know I won't go into too much but I have I've like held bits of people I've carried people who are dead I've stepped in people that are partially decomposing I've you know, I've, I've, you know, the real bad stuff is I've, I've dealt with baby deaths, I've dealt with toddler deaths, I've, you know, I've been there in the hospital, I've done those things, and and my head was always okay. My job in this situation is to be a service, so it wasn't even to be a person because that that family they don't fucking remember my name or you know particularly who I was, but what they will remember is how did that person you know help them and treat them through this terrible part of their life be it something terrible has happened to them individually or a loved one or whatever. So that was always my mindset. It was like, okay, this isn't on me. This isn't my grief. This isn't my problem. My job within this is to be as a rock and as professional and as supportive as possible as I can be for other people. But I I think I was very lucky that if I get stressed, I train. Like it's just a weird thing and I can overtrain sometimes and I can like let other aspects kind of go, but that was always my release. So I had battle cancer supporting me in one sense and I had like the ability to train and compete and coming from powerlifting where if you want to scream and shout and smash things up, like that's kind of encouraged. <laughs> so you, you've got a great outlet to it. And then CrossFit was a little bit different when I'm screaming my, my head off at people and like, we don't really do it that aggressively here. Like, ah, okay. Right. Okay. Um, so that, that was always kind of helpful. I think, the luxury of working in that sometimes as well as it isn't they're not my family it's not my Mm. friends it's not people I you know I know um and and, you know I'm not trying to be Mr SAS guy and it doesn't bother me like stuff does bother you but I think it can bother you in certain different ways so I would just say I would kind of collectively just get a bit sad and I was always like just the world can be a bit of a sad place so I would have little triggers written down if I was starting to act in a certain way I would go and do stuff like mm. I would go and forcibly put myself in a different position in a different situation where I'd end up laughing or I'd end up like seeing people or I'd end up being part of something good. And, and that kind of balanced it out. But, you know, I worked with people that were on the same jobs as me. And I mean, there was a story that I told the guys that make pods great again off the camera about a battle cancer that the conversations I used to have about setting up our events in the middle of crime scenes, was just surreal and one day I'll, it'll be you know I'll write about it somewhere um but that was a, just a pure example of how trying to build something and have a positive impact basically yeah. we did more good for me than you know for anything else and was it an easy decision to leave then like to to you know I suppose it's it maybe would have been easier or would have been difficult I suppose to leave the security of it like the as in financial security of it or long-term financial security maybe not the personal health security but uh it was a hard thing to take a break from it then yeah I mean it's one of those things like it was all I ever decided I was going to do so you know when I went through college and then I I managed to get myself through university and leaving university that was it It was like cops the police was always going to be this thing um and 
it was weird to face that first of all and be like, okay, my entire persona has been around being a cop and like I'm so comfortable in all these like highly charged situations and I'm Mr. Like take control of everything and, and whatever. So, but but the, the drive I'd never felt before, like what I, what I want to do with, with Battle Cancer, mm. I've never, ever felt that before for anything. And so that was super easy. But yeah, I mean, you know, and this was pre-knowing that anything like COVID was going to happen. Leaving a job that was reasonably well paid was a secure pension. I could only get fired if I broke the law and I don't plan on breaking the law. So again, in terms of a job security, that's that's huge. That, that, you know, that's massive for people. So yeah, the, you know, that what it was a big aspect of that but I kind of also got into a bit of a thing that okay you know I'm going to regret this down the line if we don't try yeah and and, and that balanced it out and we've somehow by the partner support and by not paying ourselves a wage and everything else we've managed to do we've survived so far COVID and if we survive out of it I think that'll nothing can then really knock us down if we we get through that um I saw I don't know, was it yesterday, the day before you put up a thing at your first uh, CrossFit event? Um, like, it didn't seem that long ago. How did you come across CrossFit? So it started because of battle cancer. So I um, was powerlifting, and I still was powerlifting when I did that comp. So I, I went on and won some a European title that year when I was still, when I did that comp, that was kind of like my first dip into, into a competition. And when we decided we were going to do battle cancer, I was like, I need to learn the CrossFit community because this is the closest thing to what we're trying to build in terms of group of people and the way that the workouts are and everything else. So went to a gym, was kind of like 80% powerlifting. And then I saw someone do like a ring muscle. And I was like, ah, sick, I think I can do that. And, I, and then like I did it and it was like awful. It was just pure like power. It was nothing else. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. I saw someone do like a handstand. I was like, oh, okay, I want to do that. And then it was this kind of evolution of seeing things. But, and I admit this to everyone, I thought stuff was going to be easy. I was really good at powerlifting. I was so strong. And I was like, okay, so I can back squat 250. I can deadlift 250. I can bench 170. I can clean and jerk 180, no problem. Doesn't work like that. (laughs) Really doesn't. Um, So like, it was a very quick learning curve of, I am nowhere near fit enough. And I am so structurally like sound in three movements. And that's it. Like I'm very good at three movements of which I have never seen a one RM back squat, a one RM bench and a one RM deadlift. Like the CrossFit total is the closest you're going to get to that. But that's all well and good if you can't do anything to get to the games where you're going to do the bloody thing. Mm. So that became a massive shift. And I think it probably took me two years to realize I better start doing fitness. Like I was just easing off the powerlifting and kind of upping some more stuff. And it's not until... I'd say like last year that I actually, I'd say last summer was a, was a definitive decision to say, I'm going to try and get fit. And, and, yeah. and that's, that, that takes a lot of time, like a lot of time. Did you think when you started that you'd uh, have a team at a sanctioned event or like reach that well, level? Well, I think I, I was like, I could just go to the games. Surely it's not that hard. <laughs> like, you know, in all seriousness, like, and this isn't trying to be like a, being arrogant. It's how stupid if you don't realize how good CrossFit athletes are, you can walk in and presume that that's doable. So I'd competed at world level in powerlifting. I'd won titles in multiple different countries. I was like, okay, I'm one of the strongest people in my weight class in the world. Surely it can't be that difficult for me to, you know, get to be in a level of, of this. And, and very quickly I realized like, no, there's no chance that I, you know, I'm going to get to that. 
And then I think, in all honesty, I probably spent a good 18 months like kind of underselling what I could do. And, and that the, the swing, so I talk about it a little bit, that the swing of thinking, oh my God, this is so easy. I'm just going to be able to like walk into elite CrossFit. You then, when you realize how far away you are from that, it can swing you too far and it can put a mental block in, in how you see what you can do. And as much as I'm not, I'm genuinely not his massivest fan in the world, but Matt Frazier had a really good interview where he said, he was sat next to Rich Ronin and someone else and he looked side by side and he was like, oh, their legs are the same size as my legs. Like their arms are the same size as my arms. Like there isn't that much difference here and I, I can catch them up and you know, Jesus, he's done that. But it kind of came, the more I got to train with people who were elite crossfitters, they were ahead of me, but like not that far that I needed to just kind of doubt myself as much as I was. Yeah. And then the age thing creeps in. Like I'm, you know, I'm, I'm 33. So I've only got a couple of years before it's masters and I didn't really think sanctionals as teams. And I think to be super honest with you and everybody would say this, I was lucky with teammates. I was very, very lucky with teammates. Like we still did the qualifiers. Like we qualified, mm. we never got invitational. So we had to work really hard, but I think I'm just really lucky that I've got friends who are fitter than me and I will let them do a bit more of the work than I do it and, and pull free. But Norway was one where we were really mixed really well mixed and, and and i think that was probably the best team that i've ever i've ever had yeah i think like i saw you at filthy and i was saying this to josh when i had him on like the enthusiasm and just general like good vibes of the team were incredibly <laughs> endearing to watch like because it was kind of like i don't know there was just kind of a scrappy terrier thing about it where it's like you <laughs> like i suppose a you were happy to be there and like embrace the moment and enjoy the moment but like it's not like you were a shit show either like you know you didn't like fall <laughs> apart anywhere um i think something that you uh talk about a lot on your stories or that you, you mentioned there earlier on is like your your lack of range of motion and stuff and mm. obviously i suppose in your uh powerlifting background like the more weight that's on your back maybe the easier it is to get into these positions that you need yeah. to find like do you find uh being involved in fitness and as the face of a brand and stuff like that that is there like a pressure to perform or a pressure to, you know, show heavy lifts all the time or, you know, like that kind of thing, like to have this kind of persona of like, Oh, he's so fit and so strong. Look at all the shit he's putting out online. I think there was. So I think again, and I kind of hate to use it as this landmark and stuff, but I think pre COVID there was, and I think it was very much like how engagement, especially online became who's the best, like who, who, who's going to grab the attention by being the best. And then for me, before anything kind of really changed, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to be really fucking honest with people. I was like, you know, I can, so like today I did snap session and I didn't do anything wonderful. Did like nine reps at 87 and a half because I'm really light at the minute, which is always my excuse. I like to get my excuses in. Um, but I did 87, 87 and a half kilo. And, and on the last one, I was so fatigued that, bar comes flying over my shoulders and it's like you know the whole like oh this is going to flip me around here and like I'm going to go flying um and what I thought was like no sharing that is going to be way more uh, you know honest and way more uh, it's going to get a lot more traction of showing that I failed so I remember when the first time I did a 100 kilo snatch like failed it 13 times in a row that day and on the 14th one I did it and I said, what's more impressive, like getting into that 100 kilo snatch club or the determination and stubbornness of being like, I will fail that 13 times and I'm just going to keep doing it until I do it or my arms fall off. And, and I think that's been a little bit more 
successful for me because you know let's be honest I'm not the world's specimen like you know you look at Zach like you know I, I sent Zach a workout he destroyed it by two minutes from my time and two minutes in like a seven minute workout is a big difference you know he, you just watch someone like him and you know I'm really lucky to know Noah Olsen and, and Noah uh, you know he he shows something to send something and and it's like worlds apart, worlds, worlds, worlds apart. And like, it's great for them because they are so much better. But for me, there's a lot of like people at my level, which is great. And I work hard for it. I train three hours a day. Like I, I do train really hard, but I think it's about being honest. And, and I think since that shift, you know, talking about mobility, talking about how I'm sore all the fucking time, like every single session I am sore. And then I'll, I'll speak to CrossFitters at a really high level and I remember sitting there and saying, like, are you just sore all the time? Or is it just me? Like, is there something wrong with me? And they'd be like, no, do you know why? I'm in so much pain. Like, my wrists hurt every single time. Like, my knees are fucked. And, and like, that's the, that's the honest chat that happens even with the beasts. Like, they work through pain. I was like, I'm just going to be more honest about this and, and talk about it. I, I think it stops. I don't know. What do you think? Like, I don't see as much, like, positioning anymore. Like, I don't see as much, like, I don't know how to say it without coming across. Posturing, like, kind of. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't see that that much. Yeah, I think like, I think maybe, maybe I don't know. Again, it might be you kind of. I suppose you kind of create like an echo chamber a bit on social media pretty quickly without realizing it. Like so, I think I kind of maybe about four or five months ago, I just kind of realized like, no matter what stage I'm at, there's always going to be someone like there's there's so many different levels to the sport. Like you talk about, say, No Olsen, uh, who's like ridiculous. And he did a workout like I'd consider you to be ridiculous in comparison to me. And then if he's ridiculous in comparison to you and then if there's like you mentioned a two minute gap in a seven minute workout, look at him and Fraser in stage one. Like there's a gap there. <laughs> Do you know, like there's always a gap and it's always a chasm like between the next level. Like the, the each percent you move down is such a big gap. And I, I think I kind of always started thinking about more more recently about like my uh, my clean is someone else's max deadlift. So like mm. that kind of grounds you a little bit and then it grounds even further when you think that your max deadlift is someone else's clean, you know, like that there's yeah. always that <laughs> leap where it's like, fuck, like, so I think, you know, when people, especially when people put up stuff like, you know, or oh, kept it light today. And like, I'm always conscious of like, someone's watching that being like, what? That's like, that's heavy. light. Yeah. You know what I mean? Or someone else is watching it going like light. That's a warm up. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's yeah, like whatever you say is so relative to so many different people that it's yeah. like, you know, you have to really categorize everything that you see. And I think maybe again, maybe I'm just echo chambering myself where I don't realize that I've stopped looking at certain things or, you know, um, maybe people are becoming more aware that like, it's not as impressive now to, you know, snatch 100 kilos and proclaim it as light or you know to mm. deadlift 200 and be like oh just kept it easy today like you know maybe it's not <laughs> seen as impressive anymore um what is impressive though is the the remarkable rise of battle cancer so we'll say like in in four and a half five years you've gone from i suppose a couple of few uh a few small charity events i suppose to like a worldwide movement with you know you've got events in the uk and dublin europe miami um you've an online program you've a physical gym now you've got this partnership starting with uh weight like when you look back at battle cancer when you were working in the police and holding hold these small little events like did you see it reaching the level that it's reached or has it even taken you by surprise as well um like the the kind of wanky answer is 
yeah and we're not even anywhere near where I saw it so I had a really clear vision of like what I wanted to do with it and I am you know super open and honest like I looked at Tough Mudder and I broke down like what Tough Mudder did and Tough Mudder in like two years like significantly expanded and its impact reached and reached and reached and and like this is why I always say and it's not because I'm trying to be Mr humble joe and i want everyone to think that i'm nice and blah 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 like it isn't like we are nowhere near on the path of what like my kind of six-year plan for battle cancer is and and regardless of kind of hitting a pause for the year of 18 months of covid it was like in terms of i think in terms of access to certain people and the way that we've managed to get in different countries that's been surprisingly like how that's happened i wouldn't say it was it certainly was always planned like it was always like, if we do this first one, I always believed in like proof of concept. Like you do one, you show that this can work. And, and don't get me wrong, also just to kind of have a measure on that, like people could just stop coming. Like one year, everyone could just be like, oh, I don't want to do that anymore. No matter how epic we make it, no matter what new thing that we put in, no matter what we offer back, no, no, nothing. People could one day just be like, no, I'm not bothered. And then we're done. So I'm always super conscious of that, that there's never a point where us as a movement can be comfortable that we've like reached like an equilibrium mm-hmm. and and we drove across America doing all these visits and tours and you know I'd go into a somewhere and nobody knew who we were absolutely no one and it was in the CrossFit community and, and I'm like you know I sit there and I think okay so we have really cool people posting about us who are the heads of like this massive CrossFit community and movement but just because they know about me doesn't mean that somebody in like Liverpool knows about me. Doesn't mean someone in Germany knows about me. Doesn't mean that like, you know, across America, they know about us. And there's a huge, huge amount of like work that we need to do, especially this year. But I, I think I did see it. And like, I have more of where we want to go and where we get to. And I think it's been a massive amount of luck and good fortune in terms of the people we've met when we've met them but also me and everybody who works behind it are so annoying we will annoy you until you do something for us like I will email you so many times until it gets to that socially awkward point where you have to be like no I'm not doing this I'm like I'll get you to get to that point like until you tell me no I'm going to keep asking you and I'm going to keep asking you I'm going to keep asking you Mm -hmm. and and that's been the thing that's helped it but I'm super I, I think the biggest thing is I'm proud of everyone that's been part of it like I'm proud that the work that they've volunteered and the work that they've done. And like, we've got two other people that left their jobs for us in, you know, in December to come and work with us. And they took like a 50% pay reduction over this period of time. I'm so proud that we're still here. And I'm so proud that we will hopefully get these events back in the summer and that we've built our own charity. Like we're going through charity registration and we've got people signed up online that we're physically supporting now. And all that stuff is so cool. But I swear to you now, it's like, it's, it's like stage one still, like it's still mm. so much stage one. Cause if we can prove that we can open these support networks, if we can prove that people want to come to our events and these partners see a benefit from working with us, those partners grow and those partners change. Like we can get people outside of the CrossFit community and we, you know, we, we start working with high price and high price are huge. They, they sponsor like the NFL and the UFC and, you know, I sit on a call with them and they're in America. So we have to do like weird time calls, but they say you're our favorite partner because you're so passionate and you like want to do everything and you just love everything. And we've had chats with them about what we can do in with some of their contracts that they have with massive sports teams. Like, I swear we're just at the beginning of it. So I, I am very proud of what everybody's managed to create, but 
I'm like, no, no, we're not, we're not quite where I, I want or set out to see it. And I think that's what pushed us through this time as well. Like I, I was such a stubborn bastard. I was like, I am not giving up because COVID's here. Like I've not started what I wanted to do. Like we're not doing it. So yeah. Does I know it take, like does it take any of the joy out of it, out of the moment, like having that drive? Cause obviously it's a good, it's a good, uh, it's a good attitude to have in a, growth sense like that it's like you know it's not enough i want more but is it like does it take any of the joy of the moment out of it for you yeah i mean i very rarely say i'm excited i very rarely say i'm happy and i very rarely say like i'm proud um they're very things that don't particularly come out of my mouth it's because i think i can see continually that there's a path and if we my mind kind of works like okay if we do this now then there's this and then if we do that, then there's this. And if we do that, then there's this. So I'm always like, okay, that's cool what we've done, but there's a reason that we've done it and it's to open up another avenue. Mm. And now, especially because we're working with people directly, like I am not happy at all. Like I, I am not enjoying that we've only got 40 people. You know, some people have like you've got 40 people in a week who oppose cancer treatment that are now doing your program like for free across seven countries. Like, you know, you've got remote programs popping up in Invictus and in Train in Miami and all these other places. Like, yeah, but that's not 50. I've got 12. You know, I need 50 places. I need all these mm-hmm. other kind of things. So I think what I enjoy more is seeing how people who are attached to us and people who have volunteered and people who come to the events like that's the enjoyment I get of seeing that impact from them and seeing like how much it becomes something to them and, and is a bit of a wider thing. But yeah, to be super honest, I'm never particularly proud or like, yeah, particularly happy. Your poor, poor missus. Yeah. She has this problem, especially around Christmas. She's like, no matter what I get you. <laughs> are, um, are venues and partners and stuff like more generous or more like, do they give you more leeway because it's a charity event? Like, can they, so say if like, I don't have a VAT number or anything, I'm not like a registered company, but just say if I was doing something, like, do I get benefits for giving to charity? Like, does it, is it, does it make sense for, obviously they want to work with the brand and they want to help and they want to, you know, do good, but are they, are they, are companies and say venues, I suppose are probably, Venues and insurance are probably the most expensive thing for running an event. So are, is there any leeway there for them to be like, well, look, we can do it for this because it's for charity or whatever? So the only, we only get one that gives us anything in terms of venues. So, I mean, this is, again, like we often get asked, like, where, you know, my ticket money, like, what does that fund? And I, and so 10% of it funds a back cancer program, which is great, but then the rest of it puts on the event. So our London event, you know, and this is, this is why I think it's really good for people to understand that probably cost us like £80,000 to put on. And that's not because we're flashy. It's because it's a massive venue. Last year, we had like 2,000 people in there fundraising. The, fundra- the, the fundraising from that event was astronomically higher than that, but it costs a lot of money to, to put on. You know, insurance is huge, barrier higher, like water, paying for bins to be removed, paying for like security. There's like so many things that you have to start paying for. You know, if you want to put lights for people, cost money. You want a TV screen, cost money. Like there's so much that racks up. We don't get nothing off that. The only one that does it is Olympia. So Olympia London give us a phenomenal, phenomenal rate. And I mean, that company is huge. Like they, they own multiple places across the world. 
And if you were to line every venue up, you'd think that they were the least likely to do it, but they're actually the ones that do it the most. Other venues are kind of like tough. It's like you want to put an event on, you're paying the money. Like if you don't want it, I can put someone else in it like very quickly. Um, so that's always like the risk that you run. Like we commit. So with this past year with COVID, we we wanted to make everybody's tickets just roll over to next year. So we paid out all our venues and we paid out all our contracts to every single event. So we lost a year's worth of events that didn't sell any tickets. So we paid that out. It's gone. Um, but we've kept everyone's ticket money safe. So if it means that if we had to refund everyone this year, for example, we can't. That's difficult because insurance companies don't give a flying fuck whether you do a cancer event or not. Like barrier hire companies couldn't care less. Like all these people, they don't care. I'd say where it's different is partners. Like partners join us for two reasons because they're really good people. There's always one. Like we, the relationships that we have with partners is always like deeply personal. It's really, really good. They're like friends. And, and that's genuinely makes things work really well. And, and the other is because they genuinely want to build what my vision and what everyone else is pulling towards with, with what we're doing you know i don't think that it's as simple as like just being seen at an event with people anymore or just having stuff because the people we work with they're bigger than us mm. you know it's not like i'm promoting somebody that's smaller like every single person we work with as a brand is bigger than us so you know that for them it's it's a massive buying and that's why partnerships and like sponsoring of events with us it's not that same you know it's they're funding the programs for us they're funding us to go on tours and talk about stuff and get this up and running and you know the, the amount of gifting that we did like at high price we gave away like thirty thousand pounds worth of stuff to people post-cancer treatment last year they all got like hypervolts they all got like normatech systems that are like a thousand pound like we we gave so much stuff out to people to just help instead of just having a banner at an event like so I, I think that's where the difference comes in in you know and at wit dan and sam who are the owners of wit both have had you know tragic and deeply personal reasons in terms of with cancer why they want to work with us this you know last year and this year similar everywhere like every single person that we have so i know I'm, we're very very lucky on that but you know at some point we need to we need to make good on what we're, we're saying we're going to do which is what, why we work just we work our butts off to to give them something back as well as everyone else. Yeah, we'll say like um, you mentioned there about like ticket money and stuff. So we'll say we'll put on a hypothetical event in like my house. So we'll say we'll say it takes like just to keep just to keep numbers easy. I suppose we'll say like you know tickets and you know vendors like sponsor money and stuff. We'll just say like a hundred thousand is brought in. Like mm-hmm. of that hundred thousand, do you know, like say pre-event, okay, no matter what's taken at this event, we need 40% has to go to this, 10% has to go to this, or like, how does it work? Like when you're divvying up at the end, let's say. So what we've done over the first three years with Battle Cancer is like at the end of each year, we, we, we'd oversold the events. Like we, we had more people than, so we work on a minimum. So I know I need to sell X amount of tickets to fund it because it'd be really stupid to fund it on like a ridiculously huge amount of tickets so it would always be okay i don't know we've got your event at your house we need 100 people to do it i would say right the cost to balance that sheet is 100 so we need a minimum of 100 if we get 120 amazing because that 20 is extra so what we did because we never spent a penny where it didn't need to go was that extra money that we built up went onto a new venue and paid on paid off the venue for the next year so we managed to pre-covid 
build up an amount where we'd pay, we were like paying to go into Germany and paying to go into Spain and paying to go into Ireland because it had managed to grow to that point. And we were really key of never putting tickets up because the other thing is I could reduce the amount of teams that I need, but whack the ticket price up. But my issue is like, if I matched some other events in terms of the ticket income, that's money that's going to come off what you're going to fundraise. So I'd rather be one of the cheapest like mass participation events for four people because then you're going to fundraise more. And this year we've got mad prizes for our global fundraising league. We've got a paid trip to Waterpalooza for 2022 as VIP tickets. We've got like mad, mad, bad stuff. So I want to encourage that. So yeah, you, I would work off the minimums. This is the minimum amount of teams that we need to sell. This is, we've paid the deposit for this venue. This is how much more has got to go. And then hopefully you get more to, to kind of continue that growth of it. But, you know, people get shocked when you tell them how much stuff costs and, you know, I've, I've heard of events around the world that spend enormous amounts of money on things. And you go to that event and you view it and you think, I don't know where that money's gone. Like it's literally, you just burnt it in a pit. And then, because I know how much like I can put something on for that's either similar or, you know, just being clever with how you do stuff. So we're always aiming that fine line of how do I make your experience amazing? But how do I not take the piss with the money? Like it's a it's a very fine line to walk, and you have to be super careful. With that's how you would lose people very quickly, um, and then not see the value of what ultimately we're trying to do: fundraise and give people a chance to come together that have been affected by something terrible. Mm. I'm not trying to find, you know, a WWE show. I'm not trying to find like the biggest, like you know, I'm not trying to be the CrossFit Games. But at the same time, you want to make it different every time that you come. So yeah, it's it's hard. So say like if you if you have an event is, is the business model then we'll say side of the charity is that like the tickets will go towards like income we'll say direct income will go towards like building future events and stuff like it's kind of kicking it down the road for future events like kind of nest egging it and then the the uh, part of the money will go towards say the move forward program and stuff like that and then that the charity uh will say the the direct money for charities more so comes from participants raising themselves yeah so to get, it's kind of it's super easy in terms of like the so the, the battle cancer program is funded from donations like so that's if, if somebody donates to it it's like 100 of that we don't even access it like it literally goes through and it's directly pays for the coaching for all the remote programs like that's mm. what it pays pays for the coaches bosh done so that's why we're super frugal like you know 13 grand we've managed to run 12 locations for 12 weeks at a time that's like a thousand pound for 12 people for for three months Mm. that's like an insane value so that's really really easy for us to kind of do what we've said is look 10 percent of your ticket will get donated in so we will take that 10 percent like operational amount and even if we only hit the minimum like we will work that in and that will go across so again that really helps with the event anything that we oversell from the cost it gets put into going into having another event because we, I personally think that our model and how fun it is and the people that come to it and it draws, we could have 30 events, we could have 50 events, like, but I can't magic money out of thin air. So the more people that come to the events, you know, one, it secures next year's and two, it secures that growth you know, unless a massive events company and then if any are listening want to come in and buy they're us. Not, they're and, not going to be listening to this. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just, I'll just cut you short there. <laughs> I, I try it on everybody's. You never know. I always try it on everybody's. Um, but that's the difference. So this is my whole point with Tough Mudder. Tough Mudder self-funded itself to get self-funded itself, self-funded to get 
itself to a point where it was so big that it got bought out. And when it got bought out, they instantly the next year put like 500 events on. Yeah. Pre that, they had like 100 or something. And then and then it got bought, boom, 500. But I suppose even it it uh, it will paper over the cracks if there's a blip somewhere where like you just get the right amount of people. Like say you just get your 100. At least if you've got this kind of nest egg rolling forwards, at least the venue is like it's been paid for. So, okay, like that's a shit event. Maybe we won't have one in this city next year, but at least it's not a massive like hole from this event because we've been kicking it forward all along. So, yeah, no, I understand that. Um, the the year, I suppose, you know, it's been shit event wise, like definitely, but it's been pretty ridiculous. Like you really uh, made lemonade with what you were given. So like <laughs> even like say last summer, like the social media campaign, these ridiculous celebrities. Like I remember clicking on it being like, oh, that's cool. You got Catherine's David. Is that Thor? And like just clicking through of just like this bizarre like list of who's who of like random people that you'd never expect to see together. Um, so they were all like sharing the, the message. And then you had, you know, the move forward gym opened up and obviously like it's really shit timing with everything that's going on. Um, how have you found uh, the process of say getting the gym up and running and then having to like step back from it again so soon hard like it's, it's difficult i mean in terms of what we were doing in the back end is still been going on so like recruiting people post-treatment takes a long time because for in in connection like groups for us to come for people to come into the gym so we had like three people who were post-treatment were already coming to the gym and bef- this was before we'd finalized the full mechanics of the program so what we were doing was just basically giving them free pt mm. so it was shit when we have to be like i'm really sorry like we're legally i can't give you any more pt like i'm really sorry we, it was free we were just giving it them in between classes um <clears throat> so that was just bad like you have to look at someone who's been you know starting to see you as a, as a way of recovering and coming through and and stop that other than zooms and stuff but like zooms is just it's not the same and you know, it, it's difficult. We have support groups in the gym. So the coaches all have a different group of people that they speak to. We've got competitions. We're always giving things away. Like I'll buy things and then we'll, we'll give them away for activating stuff and trying to do as much as we can. But it, it did kind of allow us to, in the back end, continue. So we've not really stopped in terms of trying to reach out to so many places locally, trying to grow the remote network. Like we're taught, we're, we're using this time to upskill all the coaches from the remote programs. So everybody's still really busy. Like we just don't run classes mm. inside. We're having to run them everywhere else. I think the biggest thing is now on a personal side, it's like, okay, we've got staff at Battle Cancer. We've got staff at the gym. We've got remote coaches through this. Like we've got partners and all of these people are like, relying in various different ways with what's going on and i'll make a plan to do something and then it's like oh no we can't do it and they're like okay i need to think of something else i'm like i think that's been the difference and it's really you know really nice saying about how we've managed to make lemonade out of it but it'll be the fizziest lemonade you'll have ever tasted because i've had to constantly like spin it again spin it again spin it again and and that's the same for this year like we've got backups to backups because i was like i can't come into this year and say to people buy a ticket, secure it. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, I'm really sorry. Can you wait till next year? I was like, mm. we have to offer stuff for people. Like we've got to have plans upon plans upon plans. And, you know, we're slowly drip feeding those out about what we're going to do for people. But yeah, it's, um, yeah, it isn't great. But also I could not have it. You know, I could mm. not have these amazing people I work with. Like what you said, you know, it, it, it's an opportunity in terms of like things that it, 
seeing what's there and, and what's a possibility. Do you think like, so obviously, you know, it's been a shit year for all charities because it's kind of pulled the rug out and say a lot of, you know, in Ireland, we've got like Daffodil Day where to be out mm-hmm. selling daffodils like in every shop and every shopping center on every street corner. And obviously they just that their main day of fundraising was just ripped out from underneath them. And you've got like there's loads of different examples of that. And even, you know, any of those kind of opportunities for people to have charity buckets out it's not a viable option anymore do you think that covid will have like a lasting effect either positively or negatively on like how charities work and how they fundraise i think big giant charities have had to like look inwardly of where they spend money i think that's and i'm not going to go down like trying to be too political in terms of it but very very big charities have probably had to look and think okay are we a bit bloated kind of yeah like where are we spending money like is is this definitely needed like is this thing 100% needed for the goal so I always talk about like returning back to what's your mission statement like what's your goal of what you're doing and and if if resources are going into things that are not that and that's starting to be reduced then you've you're doing something wrong and you've got to rezone it back in I think that's something I mean the thing that I talk about that is is a lasting effect you know in the UK alone there's going to be up to 46,000 additional deaths, which are classed as medically avoidable. So the medically avoidable is because if they'd have had an early detection or an early screening or an early form of treatment, those people would have survived. And, you know, I'm not trying to denote COVID in any shape or form, but the vast majority of people who are unfortunately passing away from COVID are of a, a certain age and above, which doesn't mean that it's okay, but that's just a fact. Like, these people from the avoidable deaths in terms of cancer are not the predominantly women and the predominantly women from their like the early twenties to their like fifties, which is kind of prime life, mums, sisters, girlfriends, you know, everything else, because we couldn't do the stuff that we'd normally do in. This isn't me saying like, give me more money to make that number even better. This is me saying, this is just what would have happened normally. Now it isn't. So 46,000 people like, Fill, you know, fill, fill a football stadium, mm-hmm. they're, all, they're all going to be dead. And the worst part of that is that they didn't have to be. And that's the thing that I think is really scary that we're not quite seeing yet in terms of cancer, let alone touching on mental, people's mental health. But like that is not going to be seen until later on in the year when people are, are passing away that didn't need to be. Do charities like chat to each other? Like, obviously, I don't mean like the companies, but like, would you have any... Um, I'm trying to think of English charities that do like, like is the Macmillan Trust, is that cancer charity? Like, do, do you have any interaction with them about like, you know, timing of things or, you know, is there any kind of territorial thing or does, do you give a shit like because you're all going towards one aim anyway? Well, so the difference with us is we, we, we let fun, we kind of promote fundraising for everyone. Okay. And that's been the biggest thing. So at our events, you can fundraise for any registered cancer charity. So the biggest beneficiaries have been Click Sergeant, Macmillan and Cancer Research. So like Battle Cancer Program is like second to last in terms of donations to it because it's so new. It's like literally really small. Like it's, it's something that we're growing. So the vast majority of people, like, you know, when we come and do our Irish event, it's the Irish Cancer Society and Click Sergeant that are the two biggest like beneficiaries of it so for us we're constantly speaking so tomorrow yeah. i'm speaking to cancer research and i'm speaking to macmillan we've got a lot of zoom calls with both of them you know we're also starting working in november we've got calls lined up again with click sergeant we also deal with a lot of really small hospices and small like kind of 
uh, cancers that are a bit more rare as well because mm. they don't get a lot of funding and they don't get a lot of like eyes on them. So when you sign up to our event, when we give you your fundraising pack, the suggested charities that we say, you know, these are ones that we think you should suggest for if you're not too sure. But if you've got your own, like, cool. So we've, you know, we've supported 36 different charities across the world, which is, we have conversations with nearly all of them. In America, the American Cancer Society, we did a big tour with them. We, we spoke to them about implementing the program. You know, Macmillan, again, massive links. So we, we chat about what can we do on social media? What can we do to increase fundraising like? Is this stuff that you can send to our teams that mean they can make even more money back in mm. turn for you? So there's loads of those conversations. The difficulty with charities is there's a huge amount of red tape. And we've learned that as we've gone through charity registration. So you, especially the big giant ones, like I can't just say to them, I'll just like do this. They have to go away and get a board to sign it off and look at it and say like, how does this impact on us? So it's, it can be difficult to, to deal with some, um, but it's, yeah, it's vital. Like we spend a lot of time talking to charities. Mm. Um, someone else you partnered with this year was Black Box um, and you've renovated your, your home setup, which Honestly, I'm so fucking relieved about it because watching you lift in front of that parked car last summer, I had sleepless nights over that, like where I just wake up, be like, he's he's gonna drop the bar on it, like it's not gonna end well. Um, so that was a relief. Um, have you any aspirations like personally for yourself in competing, or is your training uh purely, you know, mental health kind of physical health kind of thing just for yourself? I mean, I think. I'd be lying if I said I didn't want to get my big thing was kind of this year of being, this is a once in a lifetime opportunity to train as much as I can. Like I work from like seven in the morning to 11 at night and that affords me the chance to train twice. Like it means that I can mm. take that time out and train um, my sleep shit. But other than that, um, so th- this was me this year was like, okay, this is a golden opportunity to have stepped up in terms of fitness. And one, the other difference, you know, like you talked before about like chasms in terms of different people, there's also an element of that that's completely circumstantial. So if I then have the ability to split my training to twice a day and do like a recovery cardio session or whatever, that does give me the ability to get an edge on you because you yeah. don't have that opportunity and I have access to kit and, you know, all this other kind of stuff. Um, so no, I do like I, the open's going to be really interesting. I'd love to get past that first like 10% mm. thing to kind of go to this other thing. I'm not going to be in the top 80 of Europe, not a chance. Like I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I just, I know realistically where I'm at, um, but it'd be nice to certainly be in that upper amount, you know, to, to kind of be in that top hundred of the UK was always a nice goal. And it's difficult with comps. Like they've changed, obviously it's gone back to the the full affiliate team, you know, and I, I don't, the people I know and the people I want to compete with, they're not in my gym. They're not going to move to Devon just to like come and train with me. It's not going to happen. So I think it's going to be interesting to see the likes of what a Palooza and a Filthy comes back and Norway. And if all these places come back and bring just like a normal team, that's definitely it for me. But I, I want to compete again in powerlifting. I want to do, I want to do a Highland Games. It's been a massive yeah, you've, thing. Yeah, you've put up a lot time. of strongman stuff recently. I assume that's something that you're aiming towards, is it? A little bit. So we were we were going to try and do this like ridiculous challenge this year, but I think kind of COVID's putting a bit off it. So we're going to re-look at it, but it was, I was going to be doing something physically that would re- require me carrying a lot of weight for a very long time. So what I'm trying to do is get a little bit bigger, get a little bit more time under load, get my CNS back used to stuff. But yeah, I'm, I'm I want to go, I would love to do like a, a sanction all 
compete in powerlifting, do like a Highland Games and then one or two kind of personal challenges would be really cool. But it's just being honest, man, like I'm not going to ever qualify for games. Like even as a master, like Rich Phone is the same age as me. Yeah. Like I know I've got That's better good. hair than him, but still like we're not like my hairline tells better stories. But, you know, the I think the other thing that people forget is that when you turn a master, so yeah. does everyone who's better That's than you. The, I, I remember saying I remember saying to my coach a while ago, like uh, in our gym being like, yeah, but like, you know, a few more years, like I'll be a master. And, you know, then then I'll reap the rewards. And he was like, <laughs> yeah, so will everyone else your age, though. And I was like, oh, <laughs> fuck. <laughs> I just kind of hope, I, I said this to someone the other day that, especially with the open, if lockdown continues, there's not that many people that have access to like <laughs> a rig. I was like, by yeah. default, I might get a bit further. Yeah. Um, and then I think, you know, we've, we've, we've got really good partnership with Invictus and Invictus have got some phenomenal masters athletes. And I think that's more about a consistency point of training into your thirties, going into your forties. I think that that is doable, depending on what the state of the world is and what kind of CrossFit and stuff is. I, I think that that's possible. Mm. Um, and also maybe the guys who are really good in the open category just don't really care about going into the Masters. But, you know, I, I train with like Kelly Friel. She's like Masters whatever. She's phenomenal. Like mm. she wipes the floor with so many women in the open category. So I think there's a quite an often view that we look at the masses being like, oh, that's easy. I'm going to be in that. And then you train with them. You like, I think as uh, well though, that that's the, it, that, that aspect of it might put people off from doing it because there are athletes mm. who are like maybe just hanging on to open category. And it's like, why don't you just go and do masters? Like, and I think there is like a thing of like, Oh, being put out to stud, like that, that's it. Mm. You know, like you might as well just bring out the shotgun. Like if I'm going to do masters <laughs> or whatever, whereas when you see them at competitions and at events, it's like, they're doing stuff that the majority of us can't do anyway. Like, you know, it, it is like, like, even, breezy, like, yeah, like ridiculous. Like, um, Something that you've pushed more so lately, you've mentioned it a couple of times there, is I suppose the mental health aspect of of illness and recovery. Is like, is that due to, you know, have you guys been made aware of stuff through those engagements that you've made and conversations that you've had at events and stuff with survivors? Or is it something that you kind of always knew was a gap? I think it's a little bit of both. Like, I think that one key element for me is, you know, I, as, a, as a detective, I was always especially as a detective sergeant, I was always asked to go to a suicide, like suspected suicide and go and make a decision. So my job was to go and determine if something had happened here that was suspicious or not. And, you know, nine times out of 10, it was not suspicious. It was someone who'd taken their own life. And, and the vast majority were men, vast or fast. I, I mean, in my entire time, I remember one, one lady that took a life. Um, that's not to say that it doesn't happen, but just in my experience. And there was always a common theme for me that was like, okay, this person's had a lack of a number of things happen in the in the life. Okay, what if we can do something that even if just one person happens to stumble across and that one little thing just like stopped it and just just inst- and kind of you know started the journey of a recovery somewhere else. So that was a big thing for me on a personal side. I think on the on the secondary was we've worked with so many people who are like what I would say secondary affected by cancer. Yeah. So so there's always a guilt. There's always like a, a significant PTSD of those that have had loved ones who've who've gone through cancer because they don't have time to think about themselves. They don't have a time to deal with their own emotion and their own mind, and they feel any guilt or you know they feel selfish because every they believe everything should happen for that person who's gone through cancer and and cancer like recovery rates getting better 
people are getting it is going up, but recovery rate is getting better. So, oh, cool, you're uh, in remission. Thanks, well done. Uh, yeah, but I hope we don't see you. That's literally it. Like, there's nothing else. Like, there's, there's there's limited small amounts of support out there post that initial thing. So, again, for me, it was like there's a massive gap that nobody is picking up on this, that those people are forever the guy with cancer, the girl with cancer, you know, physically, mentally, what have they just gone through is very rarely addressed or supported. And, and I'm not a mental health professional. I, I don't purport to be. I've dealt with a lot of people in a crisis and I've been on the shit end of stuff. And, and that for me is like, well, do you know what? If I harp on about it and somebody reads something and they read that thing and they think this could be good for my mate or this could be good for something else, that that's a big thing. So in the gym, we've actually started taking mental health referrals. So the emergency services, the Marines uh, and three doctor surgeries, we take referrals. We give them five weeks of classes for free. Mm. So we say, come in, just, just come in be part of the gym like if you stay afterwards cool if not just come in see how it is if moving helps you out when you walk in the door this one's on us like kind of just come in and and, and see about it because I was like do you know what maybe that one thing that we offer might help somebody and you know a, a version of me doesn't have to turn up and and find them you know dead so there's, there's little things we want to do continually that I, I think is so missed especially in and around cancer but but other areas i think we're getting better at talking about mental illness but i don't see many things that are like offering a solution i just see lots of talk i don't see lots of like okay well we're just going to try this you know the worst the worst case is you don't get better but we're not going to make you worse we just might not make you better and that's why i think let's just crack on and let's just try doing some stuff yeah um yeah, no, it's yeah. I think you're hitting the nail on the head with a lot of stuff there. Um, look, we'll finish with a quick fire um, to to lighten the mood. <laughs> Sorry, I'm the world's worst guest. It's all no, no, I think like cancer. no, I think to be fair, I think what you're saying is, you know, it harks back to what we said at the start that it's perspective. Like it's you know you can you can listen to it and be really downtrodden by it, or you can listen to it and be hopeful of what's to come. Right? You know what I mean? Like it's you, you can you can choose your narrative on it like listening to the interview you can either be like oh that's a bit shit like that there's you know a stadium full of people are going to die or whatever or you can look at it and be like well hopefully next year it's better like you know that there's systems being put in place and stuff well i can do something about it that's the other thing that i want people to think like i actually have something to do which could be tell someone who i live go and get your smear test go to the doctor and have somebody stick a finger up your bum because it's as embarrassing as it might sound like it might save your life like so these things that are really bad and sound depressing you can do something about it that that's my other kind of like take home from it is Mm. if it sounds shit then you know crack on and do something about it um so run or roll roll every day (laughs) um burpee or thruster burpee hate thrusters yeah, not many people like burpees either. Uh, clean or snatch? Clean, hundred percent. Powerlifting or CrossFit? CrossFit now. Yeah. Uh, bike or ski? Bike. Uh, bench or squat? God, the bro in me says bench, but I'm going to stick to my gut and say squat. Yeah, it's winter, so squat is important in yeah, winter. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, listen, thanks for coming on. Uh, I really appreciate. It. I think there's some great little gems there for people to to nugget in on. Um. Yeah, I appreciate you taking so much time out. And I think it was nice as well. I, I'm sure people listening will be maybe reassured is the wrong word, but like it's nice to know 
I suppose, how the money is raised, where it goes, what it goes to and where it comes from. I think because, you know, it's easy to look at, like, I think you mentioned there about people going to events and looking at me and like, whoa, like, you know, how do they spend this much money on this? Like, it's not that great or whatever. Whereas I'm sure there's other people that go to events like yours or other charity events and think like, sure, all the money's being spent on this, you know, like that's where it's all going or whatever. So it's nice to know, I suppose, nice to get an insight into where it's coming from, where it's going to. And, you know, if you're, um, if your aspirations and your attitude are matched by your actions, I think the only way is up for battle of cancer. So keep pushing. Thank you, man. No, and it's, it's lovely. It's really nice like to actually have, like a, a, just a very real conversation it's you know some I've been really like lucky again to, to speak to some people and you you know you just I'm just gonna I'm just selling I'm just all I'm selling so I think it was really really cool and, and that's the thing I always think like if you're not open like why are you not open and you know we've always been really open with the conversations about how we run it where it, the funding comes from like how we do stuff because ultimately like it won't work if you're not like at mm. some point something's going to happen and people are going to see through it and, and not see and i think that's where you've just got to be super open and honest you'd about be, it be like father to head like oh that money was just resting in my account it was just resting in my account <laughs>